Mary shouting knows and he, he can lead Santa through the fog. Um, he's, um, Santa's leader of the sleigh and he has a red nose. The red nose reindeer. Rudolph is a reindeer. He is a red nosed reindeer with, from Santa's, from Santa's eight reindeer. Because it was foggy that night and his nose was bright so they could see the way. Because he had a light on his nose, his red. Because he thought he was like unique, and he got a um bright nose that can um ride them through the city. Because his nose was so bright, he got to um fly the reindeer to um places for gifts. All the reindeer became friends with. Uh, Santa loved him and everyone else yeah. liked him. All the reindeer um, loved him and shouted out with glee. <laughs> All right. So the first question we asked was, who was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? And um, I don't know if you watched that show as a kid like I did and loved it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone back as an adult and watched it and uh, saw who, who really was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Ru Rudolph... It's the most conflicted Christmas story I know of. Rudolph was rejected uh, practically from birth. If you remember the show when he very first looked up just after birth, he hadn't even gotten his legs yet. And he said, Mom, Dad, you know, they were already talking about the uh, Donner. The dad was talking about, you know, no son of mine's going to walk around and saw his little glowing nose with this glowing nose. You know, we can't have this. He's not going to be accepted. And then Santa came by and just checked out the newborn reindeer to see if he might be able to guide the sleigh one day. And Donner says, oh, when he gets older, his, this glowing nose will go away. You remember that? And, and Santa said, uh, well, I hope so. If he ever wants to guide my sleigh, he can't do it with that nose. And his dad felt so bad for him that he made this little, you know, nose cover that he put over his nose to try to hide his nose so he'd be acceptable to other people. And then I don't know if you remember this one horrifying scene where the snow monster, the abominable snow monster, tries to stab him in the head with a, like a stalactite. You remember that? With an icicle thing and tried to kill him. You're thinking, this is a children's deal? And, and, and so then, rejected by his peers, you know the song, he can't play in any reindeer games, completely rejected, he runs away and on his way, when he's running away, he meets this little elf who's also rejected, who wants to be a dentist and not an elf. And then they meet uh, Yukon Cornelius on the way. Nobody really knows, you know. I kept waiting for him to turn, you know, something's going to happen. And he, he didn't. But they were on their way to the island of misfit toys. The island of rejected toys. And, and it dawns on Rudolph one night that um, he's, his presence is putting his new friends in danger. So in the, in the blue moonlight, Rudolph hops onto a floating chunk of ice and floats away in the open sea, empty, rejected, and completely alone. Now, you may not know this. I, I had to look it up. I didn't know. A man named Robert May wrote this story. In 1939, Montgomery Ward, how many of you remember Montgomery Ward Department Store, reached out to him and said, will you write a children's Christmas story 
that we can give to kids at Christmas when their parents come and shop at our store. And then this is what he wrote. Now, to be fair to him, in the middle of writing the story, his wife died of cancer. And so now you know where some of the tears came from. Uh, this story reflected maybe how he felt at the time. However it happened, the story of Rudolph um, surfaces one of life's greatest pains, and it's the pain of rejection. So what is, what is rejection? Rejection is the sense or belief that you don't belong. It's the sense or the belief that you don't belong. Psychology today tells us that um, the same part of the brain is activated during an act of rejection as it is during a physical attack. If someone physically attacks you, the, the brain has a hard time differentiating between a physical attack and emotional verbal rejection. They, they highlight the same part of the brain. Rejection temporarily lowers your IQ. Did you know that? They did a study where they asked people to relive their greatest rejection, and then they went and took an IQ exam immediately after, and they all scored significantly lower. In 2001, the Surgeon General said that rejection poses a greater risk for adolescent violence than drugs, poverty, or gang membership. Rejection is so harmful because it gives us a distorted view of ourselves and of God. So where does rejection come from? Well, you, you've, we've all seen this uh, in other children. We don't remember it when our first time happened. But when you, when you look in a mirror for the first time, you have no idea what you look like until you look in that mirror for the first time. It's always a fun thing to watch a baby look at herself in a mirror for the first time and go, I wonder, you know, what, who does she think she's looking at? Who does he think he's looking at? The same is true for our identity. We don't know what we look like. We don't know who we are until we have been given feedback from our environment to tell us who we are. And the people around us act as mirrors throughout our life, and so the things that they say, and the facial expressions, and their body language, and the way they interact with us is a mirror that gives us feedback on what our identity is. How many of you ever been uh, to a house of mirrors? You ever been to like a fun house of mirrors, yeah? So you know there's those mirrors that are warped, right? You go in front of this one mirror and you look like an eight foot tall, you know, person with one foot long hands, you know, really, really skinny. And then you go over to another one and you look like this short little balloon. You know what I mean? You're all wided out. And then you go one more and from the waist down, you look like a, a big balloon. And from the waist up, you look like a giraffe. You know, you're all, you're all stretched out. You know what I'm saying? Those mirrors are designed to distort your image, you know, just because it's fun. But um, that's, that's what happens to us when we're given feedback about who we are that's not true. It's a distortion. 
It's a distortion of what our real image is, of what our real identity is. And by the way, we're all born with distortions, and sometimes those are reinforced by the people around us. So I want you to imagine for a minute that you grew up in a house where before you were born, your parents went and replaced every mirror in the house with a warped mirror. But they were all warped exactly the same way. And as you were growing up, every mirror that you looked at in life gave you the wrong feedback and made you think you looked like something you didn't look like. It wouldn't be long before you would begin to think and talk and act the way that image looked. And that's what happens to us. We begin to reflect back the reflection we were given. We begin to think and to act and talk like the identity that we were given by those around us. So, so many ways that that sense of rejection is planted into our life through a reflection of a wrong image. Sometimes it comes through, you know, uniquenesses that we have. Uh, Maybe you have a unique shape or you have a unique size and all your life, you know, that's been a, that's some way that you stuck out and that you were different and People gave you feedback on that that just planted little seeds of rejection in your life. Maybe it's your voice. Maybe your personality. Maybe maybe for those of you who are a a part of an ethnic minority, you were always in the minority of people in the room. And so maybe that was a point of rejection for you in certain places at certain times. Uh, Maybe it came through... um, limitations that you have. You know, maybe you were short or tall or weren't able to do things that other people were able to do or had some kind of handicap of some type. Maybe, maybe it comes through differences. But those things elicit feedback. I remember when I was in seventh grade, a guy looked at me, and we were on the bleachers in uh, the gym, and he looked at me and he said, what happened to your thumb? I said, what do you mean what happened to my thumb? I don't know what happened to my thumb. He said, did it get ran over? I said, well, no, my thumb didn't get ran over. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, well, look at it. It looks different than the other one. I said, I didn't know that. Does it really? He said, yeah, hold them up. And I held it up. Look, and that, I'm holding them fingernail to fingernail. One is shorter than the other. I didn't know that till seventh grade. And I was sitting thinking, you poor kid, you, you are oblivious. I was so oblivious. And I said, you're right. He goes, what happened? So f- since seventh grade, I learned to hide that thumb. Why? Because I didn't know I was different. So somebody told me I was different. And then years later, I was on a missions trip, and one of the young people in the group pointed out and said, hey, I've got the same thumb you got. I said, really? I felt so much better about it then. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, did you know there's a, there's a, a club thumb club? And I went, a club thumb club? No, I didn't know this. Are you serious? She said, yeah. She said, go online. I went online and looked it up. There's like famous people who have the same thumb that we do. I didn't know that. Club thumb club. See, you didn't know that. That's free. You you didn't come to hear that. One of the reasons that we copy other people is because we don't want to stick out. Because we know to stick out is to elicit rejection, which is one of the things, by the way, that we fear the most in life. Maybe, maybe rejection was sown into your life through loss. 
Maybe it came through the loss of a parent when you were really young or some, a loss of a loved one. Maybe it came through family dysfunction. Maybe your parents divorced, or maybe it came through a painful divorce. A spouse, an ex-spouse, a former spouse, rejected you really hard, and it just drove a, a, a wedge inside your heart, a spike in your heart that you just can't seem to get out. Oftentimes, uh, children of uh, adoption struggle with this, or deep family dysfunction. Or maybe you were one of those middle children, or maybe you just had a, a sibling that just outperformed you all their life and was really proud of it. And that just made you feel like you were going to be second class no matter what you did, and it just caused you to give up half the time. But it's a form of rejection. Maybe for you it came through, um, maybe you had a parent that was a narcissist. And everything was all about them. And although they didn't intend it, it just felt like rejection to you. Maybe it came through abuse. Maybe it came through trauma. Maybe it came through, and I, boy, this is a great message for high schoolers and middle schoolers. Because you live in an aquarium. <laughs> you live in a bubble of rejection. I mean, that, that man, walk the hallways of a, a school, and it is lethal. And maybe it's come from friends. And this is why bullying is such a big deal. Because when somebody gets bullied, they're fundamentally rejected. And if we're not careful, they take that on and it shapes their identity because somebody put a warped mirror in front of them. And it shapes who they, who they think they are. And I think a lot of times, frankly, we just completely way underestimate the pure evil and ruthlessness of darkness. That Satan is not one of these people that plays fair and says, oh, I won't mess with anybody until they're 13. Satan's plan is to move in on your life as early and as deeply as possible and cripple you as much as possible so that you will never believe God loves you. Never. He wants to talk you out of it every way he can. And he wants to put one painful experience after another, after another, because he's trying to build a case against God and say, see, there's another example. God doesn't love you. And some of you have endured so much pain and so much rejection that you you intellectually know it, you can read it in the Bible, you hear it, but you emotionally can never let yourself go and believe that God, you can't feel it because it doesn't feel right. So what are some of the common ways that we try to cope with rejection? I'll give you four really quick this morning. One, we try to earn acceptance. This is the, this is the consummate overachiever. This is the person who says, I'm going to become so successful, or I'm going to become so attractive, or I'm going to become so good that there'll be nothing left about my life that could be rejected. And then I'll never be rejected again. Can I tell you, companies, businesses, entertainment industry in America, uh, sports is filled with people who are running from rejection, trying to be good enough to earn acceptance and never be rejected again. And it never works. Number two, medicate rejection. 
So we overeat or overindulge or splurge or shop or use drugs or alcohol or medication or pornography. Uh, workaholics, man, workaholics are oftentimes running from rejection. Running, trying to, trying to make a way out. We, we, uh, in, in video games and screen time, we drown ourselves in screen time trying to suffocate these voices of rejection and just soothe the pain. J.K. Chesterton said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Just looking in the wrong place. Number three we try to prevent rejection. And, and, and man, there are those that say, you're not going to reject me. <laughs> I'm going to get there first. And you got these people that are like being, like being around a porcupine because they're always jabbing you. And you say, why did, I don't even know that guy. I don't, did you, why did she say that? I don't even know her. Because reject, 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 reject. I'm going to reject you before you have the opportunity to reject me. And it's so amazing, people who who embrace rejection and don't recover from it, oftentimes end up, dry, ironically, driving away the people that love them the most. Because they can't convince themselves that someone actually accepts them. Or we just withdraw, like a turtle in a shell. We just withdraw and build a wall so high and we say, you know what, you're never going to reject me again. You know why? You won't be able to find me. Oh, you might see me, but I'll be emotionally so protect, protected and insulated, I'm never going to let anybody close again. You know the problem with that? You live your entire life alone. Because here's the thing, you can't, you can't isolate yourself with prejudice. You can't, there are no perfect people, so everybody's going to hurt you eventually. So you can't just isolate the people that are going to hurt you because all people are eventually going to hurt you. <laughs> So what you do is you shut every, the whole world out and then you say, God, why am I alone? And then four, we accept rejection as an identity. Oh, and that's the worst way. And we say things like, I'll never overcome what happened to me. It's just the way my life is. I'm not like everyone else. Bad stuff always happens. I'll never be normal. And what happens when we accept rejection as an identity is then we begin to interpret Every moment of life, every word, every look, every bad circumstance, everything then becomes confirmation that we were right. See, I told you, nothing good ever happens for me. See, I told you, here's another example. And, and we just side with Satan and let him keep building the case that God's not there and God's not real. God can't help you. Hey, let, let me give you a, an illustration this morning. That's, uh, I'm going to give you a vulnerable illustration that, that is sensitive to talk about, but I'll share it with you because if you can see how it looks somewhere else, maybe you can see how it looks inside your own life. Okay? So uh, oftentimes pastors interpret people leaving their church as rejection. I don't know if you know that or not. I, I, I know we're not allowed to talk about that in church. I forgot we're at church. Oftentimes pastors interpret people leaving their church as rejection, and, and here's how it feels. How it feels is um, the average person in a church wants the church to feel very warm and very personal 
and they want every part of their experience in the church to be warm and personal up until the day they leave. And then they say, hey, don't take it personal. And uh, Pentecostals say, God told me, so it's okay, you know. Now, as a pastor, you've got a few choices on how you're going to interpret that and handle that. One is you can go and try to get everybody who's ever been to a church to never leave. I don't know if you know how that doesn't work, right? That's not going to work. Because everybody doesn't stay at the same church till they die. So you can run yourself crazy trying to fix that. Or another option is you can just try to get everybody to when they do leave the church, leave the church in a good way. I don't know if you checked the score lately, that's not going to work either. Because <laughs> everybody's not going to do that. So here's another option, and this is why I bring it up, that I think it could actually be a good point for, for you too. You have to stop looking for the answer for the painful moments of life outside yourself, and you have to start looking inside yourself where the Holy Spirit lives. And you have to say, my sense of acceptance, the mirror that I'm going to look in for who I actually am, isn't coming from out here. It's coming from in here where the Holy Spirit lives. That's the only answer. Now listen, I use that very vulnerable illustration because I'm hoping that it'll help build a bridge to your life so that you can see it's not in what your last spouse did or it's not in, the answer's not gonna be in that friend that you thought would have never, the answer's not around you, it's inside you where God wants to do a work. And if you keep looking outside, you're gonna live a life of woundedness and rejection and warped mirrors. But you have to look inside you, okay? So, how do we overcome rejection? Number one, um, retrace the root. Retrace the root. If you can find where the root of rejection started in your life, you have a great opportunity to up uproot it. If you can find where the original fracture or fractures came from, if you can find what the major rejections of your life have been, um, may, maybe it's the first rejection or at least the most painful rejection. Or at least the thing, you know, a lot of times what it is is it's painful events that we never labeled as rejection, but yet we're unconsciously interpreting them that way. So if you can go ahead and find it and then label it, I've interpreted this as rejection all these years. And maybe it was and maybe it wasn't. It doesn't matter. It's the same effect in your life. But if you can find the root, then that it may take some time. It, it may take some work. It may take some intervention from the Holy Spirit to uproot that. But, but it can't be uprooted until you can find it. Number two, replace the rejection with Christ's perfect love. I'm going to give you a scripture today that's so powerful and so amazing, and so unbelievable. If you can apply it to your life, it will change your life. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. I'm not telling you it'll make you feel better. I'm telling you it will change your life. 
if you can apply it. Are you ready for it? It's Romans 8, 15. It's one verse. The spirit you received, listen, it's not those dark spirits. It's not those spirits of the world. It's not those warped mirrors. The spirit, the Holy Spirit that you received does not make you slaves. He did not come to imprison you and put you in bondage so that you live in fear. God, God's Holy Spirit, when you become a Christian and his spirit moves into your heart, he doesn't move in so that he can set up camp and prison you, lock you down, and then make you live in fear. Look, how, look, can you believe how good this is? Again, which is where we came from, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption. You, your identity was eternally and permanently and forever rejected. But when Christ came into your heart and the Holy Spirit moved in, you became part of a new family. You were born again and you are eternally and permanently and forever accepted. And nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. And your adoption was to sonship and, and, and ladyship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, do you believe what we're reading? You've been given a new identity. You have a new father, and you are his child, and you belong to him, and nothing can ever shake the acceptance that he's given you. Nothing. So here, look, guys, all the guys in the room, all the males, I don't care what your age is, I want you to say it with me. I just want you to simply say, it's going it to maybe even feel weird. Some of you have never said this in your entire life, but if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, it is your identity. I just want you to repeat with me, I'm a son of God. Are you ready? We're going to say it together. I am a son of God. All right, ladies. Now, now for you, it's going to be daughter. And I want you to say it with me. You ready? I am a daughter of God. Woo. Oh, man. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you can apply that, it'll change your life. L let, me, let me give you, a, um, let me give you a, um, just a simple illustration of how I applied this, because it's easy in the, you know, in the, in the hype of this moment to feel that and go, yeah, that's what I'm going to do, you know, and then Monday morning, you're just punched in the face when you first wake up, and then by last, you know, right? Let me just give you a simple example of how you can apply it every day and every moment of every day and as many times as you need to. So when I was a youth pastor, I was going over to the, I went to the high school cafeteria every day to eat lunch. We had a big public school, three lunches, and I'd stay through all the lunches and hang out with kids and all that. And I was young. I hadn't been a youth pastor long, but I was there. And I remember um, just as my hand went to grab the door entering the building, I just had this sense of fear that shot through me, this, like this insecurity. And I thought, and I, and I just hit this moment hit me. I was thinking, man, these kids are rough. <laughs> you know, what if I get in there and this kid says that, or what if I get in there and this happens? And I mean, I don't even know if they want me to sit at there. I don't even know if I got kids and they're hiding when I come, you know, maybe they don't even wish I wasn't even here, you know? And I can remember saying, wait a minute, Wait a minute. 
I'm God's son. I've already received the greatest acceptance that the universe has ever known. What do I care if a 14-year-old kid who doesn't know his math from the back of his hand rejects me? I don't care. They can all reject me. I've already received the greatest acceptance. The acceptance that I've received is more powerful than if the whole school turned on me. It would be a drop in a bucket. And I kind of got my breath, and I went, and I went, yeah, now I'm free. You can do that. You can do that. When those warped mirrors start to give you that feedback and, and, and plant those seeds in your life or rejection, you can say, oh, well, wait a minute. I don't have to accept that. That's not who I am. And pull that thing out and say, I'm accepted, but I'm God's son. I'm God's daughter. I'm not going to sit here and just take that. <laughs> I belong to the king, man. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to rule with him. I'm going to reign with him. I'm not going to let the world define me. All right, so here's, here's the last. Oh, let me give you this quote by St. Augustine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. The only place, trust me, the only place you're ever going to find rest for, from rejection you're never going to have a spouse good enough or a parent or a child or a job or a career or, or fame or you're not going to have enough likes on social media. You're never going to have enough of anything, enough money. You're never going to be attractive enough. You're never going to have enough of anything that you can cure it. But when you find rest in Jesus, then, then it'll go away. Number three, renew your mind. Now listen, you can't just pull the thought out and replace it. When your mind's empty of it, you got to fill it. <laughs> you got to fill it with the right thing. You got to do a preemptive strike because whatever happened today or tomorrow, whatever, that's not the last warp mirror that's coming at you. You got more coming at you. So you got to build your mind and your spirit up so that you're going to be ready when they come. So you are confident and you are certain about who you are in Jesus. Because there's some things that can happen in your life that will shake you. If you can be shaken, you'll be shaken. So you got to, you got to build yourself up. And what I'm just calling that is renew your mind. You need a new mirror. <laughs> you need a different mirror to look in. You need a mirror that you can look in that'll tell you the truth. Fortunately, we got one. It's called the Bible. It's called the Bible. It's called the Word of God. And it is the most powerful tool to overcome rejection in the entire universe. Listen to James chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. Anyone who listens to the Word to the Bible, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his, mirror, his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. We read, we hear, but we forget. Because you know, by 3 o'clock this afternoon, some of you will have endured 17 bouts of rejection. One shot of the word and 17 bouts of rejection. 
And you walk away and you forget, but, but you don't know what happened. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know my childhood. You don't know I lost my job. You don't know what my wife said. You don't know what my husband said. Did you see how she looked at me? You don't know what happened to me because you looked and then you forgot. You looked and you forgot. Now look, look at verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom intently and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. Look intently, look deep, continue in, don't forget, remind yourself. Man, the Bible is chock full of verses that tell you who you are. You are adopted, you are redeemed, you are blessed. You are favored. You are God's special child. You have an eternity. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. But you've got to look in the right mirror, and you can't look once. Because you'll forget what you look like. You've got to look again and again and again and doing it, hearing it and doing it, hearing it and saying, no, no, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to accept what Jesus said about me. And that's the application. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God. So why is Jesus the real star of Christmas? Jesus was the most rejected person who ever lived. You don't know anybody that was more rejected than Jesus Christ. L let, me, let me read a quick scripture on this. Isaiah 53, 5. He was thrown warped mirrors at him his whole life. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. He suffered the greatest rejection the world has ever known. Yet, he knew who he was. And he lived from that mirror, not from all the warp runs around him. Look at John 17, 25. Near the end of Jesus' life, this is a prayer that he prayed to God the Father. He said, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that myself, I myself may be in them. Jesus knew who he was and he refused to let anyone else on earth identify him but the Father. He would not accept anybody else's identity over his life but what the Father said. Jesus is the real star of Christmas because nobody's ever suffered as much rejection as he has and nobody lived truer to the identity the Father gave him than he did. Now, here's the case. <laughs> would you stand with me? If... The love of the Father could empower Jesus to overcome all the rejection that he suffered. Then the love of the Father 
can help you overcome any warped mirrors anybody ever put in your life. <laughs> and you can be everything God wants you to be. Freedom and in love. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your grace and mercy. God, I thank you that you're a God of love and truth. And you've come today to give us grace and favor. We receive it and we need it this Christmas season. Lord, we look to you now, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name. If you're online, our prayer team's there ready to pray with you.